Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the things that you have led us through this week. We thank you for the ways that you've stretched us and you've grown us. We thank you for the many ways that you've comforted us and brought us peace. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is never changing, that it is, that it is timeless and will always be true. We thank you that they're not just good sayings or words on a page, but they are what gives us life. You breathe life into us through your word. So Lord, I pray that you bless our time this morning together and that you'd open our ears and open our hearts that we may become one with you through your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If the fruit of the Spirit, known as joy, were embra was embraced and striven for, most of the advertising industry would cease to exist, wouldn't it? No longer would we seek to throw our money at the next best thing that promises to give us happiness. The reason that the advertising industry thrives on people seeking something to bring them happiness is because that kind of happiness is so fleeting. And so then it needs to be given again. Needs to, something else needs to take its place. That kind of happiness is so fleeting because it isn't really what is supposed to make us happy. The reason that kind of happiness isn't really supposed to make us happy is because that kind of happiness is based on what? Our circumstances. That's what that kind of happiness is based on. But nowhere in Scripture does it teach to do everything to make our circumstances the most fulfilling, comfortable, and fun, and only do things that make us feel good. Show me in the Bible where that, where that is. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to live for the weekend. Nowhere in the Bible does God say to chase after and gain the next best thing and setting that as our priority because that surely, finally, will give us happiness, right? But no one can ignore that inner desire to want to be happy and want to feel good. It's there. No one wants to live in depression no one wants to live in hopelessness. No one wants to live in pain. We all have this desire to be positive and think positive thoughts because you know what? God put that desire in us. See, some of us think as soon as we sign our lives over to Christ, that's, a, that's the death to our happiness. Any smile we had before, you've got to make that a frown. You've got to start wrinkling up your face and start acting uh, depressed about everything and sad about everything. We're never supposed to feel positive about anything and we're always supposed to feel negative about everything because that's the way the world is. Others of us think that we can never be positive unless things are going all right. But God never intended for us to strive for sadness. 
God never intended for us to chain ourselves up with a sense of dark foreboding and live as if we should never be happy. That's never the way that God designed us. What the problem is, is that we think we know what form that positivity is supposed to take. Self-help books for developing positivity fly off the bookshelves. Antidepressant medication, while hopeful, helpful, becomes the answer for having positivity. Whole philosophies and worldviews are based simply on being positive and attracting positivity to yourself. But all of these miss the entire point of what positivity is and what the source of that positivity is. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. A lot of these positivity gurus teach multiple methods for achieving it, but what's at the heart of their books and seminars is that if you do what they say and try hard enough, you can create positivity within yourself. But here's the problem with that. No matter how hard you try, according to God's word, that's impossible. It's impossible to create that positivity within yourself. So what is this positivity that God has designed us to want? And what is this positivity that God wants us to have? And how do we have a positivity-filled life? First point that we're going to look at as we, as we work through this word uh, and that's next in Galatians 5.22 is the positivity, what it is, what it is we're supposed to want. We've already established what positivity isn't and where it can't come from. So let's walk through God's word to see what positivity is and where it can only come from. First, what should we be desiring? That answer comes from our passage this morning. The second in the list of the fruits of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul describes to the believers in Jesus in Galatia. We looked at love, love last week, the basis for all the following fruits. And the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy in the Greek is the word kara. This is important to see because it helps us understand what the positivity of joy really is. The word kara is linguistically connect, directly connected with charis, which is the word, Greek word for grace, kindness, or favor. This is how we're going to understand what joy really is. Especially within the context of how it's used throughout the New Testament, this grace, kindness, or favor is being given by whom? God. Towards who? Us. All right. People who have humbled themselves to the point of recognizing that they cannot save themselves and can only be reconciled to God by way of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me explain. Every single one of us has trespassed against the holiness of God by choosing sin over obedience to him. We've all broken God's law. According to the Old Testament law and reiterated by the New Testament, the payment for breaking God's law is death. 
You might say, well, that's a little harsh. God sounds like a big bully with that. But let's think about it. Because God is the perfection of everything, and he must be or else he wouldn't be God, then his definition of justice must be perfect. Correct? All right. Since God's definition of justice is perfect, then his sentence for breaking his law is perfectly just. If it wasn't, we couldn't trust anything God said or did. We are God's creation and thus have no say in his definition of justice. That we cannot change. But also, since God is perfect and, and God is love, like we talked about last week, then logically God's love is perfect, right? It seems like God's perfect love towards his creation and his perfect justice towards his creation are incompatible, but they're not, and here's why. Even though his justice dictated death as punishment for breaking his law in every sense of the word, including spiritual and therefore eternal, God loved us way too much to let that happen without a fight. Someone had to die in order to satisfy the legal requirement of the sentence of death. But God's love was so perfectly sacrificial that he himself paid that death penalty for sin by sending the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, to pay that. The death penalty was satisfied, so God extends an offer to every human being. If you accept that Jesus as God was that perfect sacrifice on your behalf, you can be reconciled to God simply by recognizing that Jesus took your rightfully deserved place in God's eyes. The Bible says that when we simply recognize and accept that, we become adopted into God's family. That is love and favor above and beyond, isn't it? See, it's one thing to forgive a criminal of his or her crime. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people forgive a criminal of his or her crime. God could have done that and sent us on our way and said, you're forgiven, go in peace. It's quite another to invite that forgiven criminal over for dinner and make them a part of your family, isn't it? It's quite another, even beyond that, to lavish your love, possessions, and even your inheritance on that forgiven criminal, isn't it? You know what that step above and beyond is? That's what grace is. That's the very definition of God's grace. Grace is not only that original forgiveness that God gave to us for our sins, but it's that above and beyond step after that. God's grace is making you one of his children. God's grace is giving you all of himself. God's grace is that transformation of your heart and working in your life to provide for your every physical, spiritual, emotional, and psychological need. Because of that connection between the Greek words for joy and grace, what is the definition of this fruit of joy? Here's the definition of joy. 
Joy is the recognition and awareness of all the many big and small ways that God shows his favor towards you. Joy is the recognition and awareness of God's favor towards you. Joy is recognizing that nothing God gives or allows into your life is for your detriment. Joy is knowing that God is not out to get you. It never has been and it never will be. Joy is that gratefulness for God loving and protecting you as his child. God's word is obviously true and this is no different. This is why you can have positive joy emanating out of you every second of every day. God is always lavishing his love on you as his child. The problem is not that he isn't. The problem is that we don't recognize it and that we don't look for it. That's the problem. That's why we don't have joy. The problem is that we see difficult times as bad. We don't see difficult times as opportunities to experience and look for joy. You might be thinking, what on earth are you talking about? Get down. You're crazy. I can only be joyful when things are going pretty well. I cannot be joyful when things are hard. Well, what's really going on when we're going through tough times that we oftentimes don't see? What's really going on behind the scenes when we're going through those tough times? The Apostle James wrote in his letter to the scattered Jerusalem church, which we covered a little, a little over a year ago. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. How in the world could James say that? Trials in life should not be joyful, right? They, sh they should be experiences we just spend every waking minute hating and obsessively being anxious about and worrying about them and just wishing we were through them already, right? This is why we should be looking for the joy that is God's favor towards us in every situation, including those tough times. Because we know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the scriptural truth is that we will only grow into the people that God wants us to become through difficult times. We will only grow into the people that God wants us to become through difficult times. We can see that. Just look back on your life. You can see that. We can see how far God has brought us in growth in every area of our lives. That, in and of itself, is God's grace. He does not keep the difficult times from us because then we would never what? Grow. If he kept the difficult times from us, then we would never grow. And we can only become stronger for the next difficult time because of growth from the last difficult time. God never leaves us ill-equipped. 
God's grace even extends into his provision of this growth to equip us for the next difficult time down the road. Beyond that, God knows that the most positive life we can have is if he's making us into the character of Jesus. God knows that. God knows that the most positive life we can have is the life that he's making into the image of Jesus. The only way that can happen is if he uses these difficult times in our lives to take us to the next step in that development. So in reality, there's all sorts of joy that can be found in even difficult circumstances. See, happiness flees in difficult circumstances. You don't want happiness to be your friend in difficult circumstances because they just say, see ya. I'll see you when times are good again. But joy lasts through the difficult times because it is focused on all the good things God is doing through those times. That's the only kind of positivity worth having because joy lives. Joy never flees. Joy never dies. Joy always lives. Joy will always persist will always last, and will always live because it's focused on the goodness of God. That is why joy can last and live, because it is only focused on the goodness of God. Because joy is focused on the goodness of God, how can it not withstand even the most trying of circumstances? All that to say, it's okay to mourn in heartbreaking situations. Jesus mourned in heartbreaking situations. But it's during those mournful times that joy whispers to us, God cares. God cares that this hurts. And believe it or not, God is going to work things out for good. Joy is the only kind of positivity worth desiring because it's entirely focused on what God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. It's based entirely outside of ourselves and outside of our circumstances and placed squarely on God. Furthermore, if you look up the Greek word used in the New Testament for happy, you know what that can also be translated as? Blessed. That same word can be translated blessed. Happiness is even focused on God and living for him. All other kinds of positivity can only be self-focused and circumstance-focused and therefore are weak. They will always fail no matter how hard you, no matter how hard you will things to be differently. It will always fail. On the other hand, joy can only be made stronger. Joy can only be made more resilient. Joy can only be made more conditioned. Joy can only be made more battle-hardened. And joy can only be more powerfully experienced. So we know what the positivity is that we should desire 
It's joy. And what joy is, is the recognition of God's goodness in every area of our lives. So where do we get it from? Where do we get this joy? So now that we know what the only kind of positivity worth desiring is, joy, what's the only way we can get it? You may have gotten this hint earlier in the passage, or you may have heard me mention it before, but the point of supply for joy is absolutely in no way, no matter how much we send positive thoughts into the universe, yourself. I will never be the source of joy, no matter how many positive thoughts you send out into the universe. You will never be the source of joy. Get that out of your head. If the only kind of positivity is entirely focused on God, why on earth would the point of supply be us as weak human beings for that joy? I'm sure glad it's not. Why on earth would the point of supply be this tumultuous world we live in? I'm sure glad it's not. It says right there in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If it's a fruit of the Spirit, like love, like, like that we talked about last week, joy can only be grown in us. Joy is described here as a fruit of the Spirit, right? As one biblical scholar pointed out, many of the biblical writers, including the Old Testament writers, described God's people as bearing fruit. This is not a new concept related to the New Testament. In fact, Hosea 14.8 says, O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a luxuriant cypress. From me comes your fruit. No other source. From me comes your fruit. Take that truth and carry it forward to the New Testament. In John chapter 15, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the vine... You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much what? Fruit. For apart from, and this is what I want you to see. From apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Boy, you can't get any clearer than that, can you? Here's what you can do to gain more joy. Focus on Jesus. That's what you can do to gain more joy. Focus on Jesus. Instead of looking at the circumstances, know that God is going to work it all out. Instead of enchaining yourself with anger, anxiety, or depression, look at the goodness of God. In connection with what we talked about in our evening service last week, Paul tells the Colossians, set your mind, put it there, Leave it there. Stop trying to remove it from there. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Stop stealing it from there. That is where real lasting joy comes from. When you don't feel yourself joyful in a situation, ask yourself the question, what am I focusing on right now? Am I focusing on myself? Am I focusing on the situation? Am I focusing on what I can do? 
Or am I focused on God's sovereignty, God's love, and the fact that he's always in control and he's using this difficult time to grow me? When you have a right perspective on God's love and goodness, joy will have a lot easier of a time being grown in you. So what are you dwelling on? The very first psalm can't make it any clearer than this. How blessed is the man, is that word, how happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's what makes that man happy. He will be like a tree firmly planted by, by streams of water, which yields its what? Fruit. Joy, you could even say, in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Part of abiding in Christ as the vine is abiding or dwelling in his word. Because since Jesus is the word, abiding in Jesus means abiding in the word, right? If you don't have joy, what are you dwelling on? Are you dwelling on God's word? Are you saturating your mind with it? Instead of going over and over and over again the situation that you're in, go over and over and over again with the truth of God's word in your mind. See, the situation... And, and anxious and depressing thoughts that go along with that situation will only live in your mind as long as you give it fuel there. But if you push it out with the truth of God's word and that is what you're dwelling on all day, every day, then that, there's no room for those anxious, depressing thoughts connected with the situation. Are you letting the words of God's scripture to permeate your innermost being? Are you known as a joyful person? Let me, ask, let me ask all of us that. Are you known as a joyful person? See, we like to go through the fruits of the Spirit and we'll say, all right, check, 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 check. But do we really think about it? Are you known by this unbelieving world as a joyful person? Did you know that the joy that emanates from you as a fruit of the Spirit that should be being grown in us is just as powerful as a witness to the unbelieving world as you giving them a track or something. Are you known as a joyful person? Sure, you're going to wrestle with emotions from time to time because you're a human being and you're not perfect. But when people think of you, do they generally think of you as a joyful person? If I picked any one of you out of the pews today. And I said, I'm going to gather your co-workers. I'm going to gather your neighbors. I'm going to get your spouse. I'm going to get your children, your grandchildren, whoever has any connection with you. And I'm going to pull them and say, Does this per is this person a joyful person? I say it with a smile on my face, but I, I hope that it's convicting to all of us because it's an often overlooked fruit of the Spirit that we need to be cultivating. 
Don't feel guilty about being joyful. You're supposed to be joyful as a child of God. God is supposed to be growing joy in you. Some of you think you, sh- you, should, you, don't, you, you shouldn't be allowed to be joyful. Some of you think you can never have joy. And I hope you've seen the lies that are inherent within those beliefs. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit and therefore should be one we desire to seek God to grow in us each and every day. We should be known as the most joyful people on the face of the planet. Embrace and surrender yourself to the joy that God wants you to have. Cast off those chains of thinking you shouldn't have joy or that you don't deserve joy. Break off those chains. Embrace and surrender yourself to the truth that this is a fruit of the Spirit that God wants you to have. And allow, it that, allow that joy to be seen as an incredibly powerful witness to this unbelieving world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this freeing fruit of the Spirit. I pray that if we believed the lies that we shouldn't be joyful and that we shouldn't desire joy, that we can never have joy, I pray that you would break those chains in us. Open our eyes. Let the scales fall from our eyes. Let us surrender ourselves to and embrace the freedom of having joy. Let that positivity flow into us from your Holy Spirit and flow out of us as an incredibly powerful witness to this world. Let us be cultivating an environment for this joy to take root and be experienced and be seen. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.